0: This is the Ultimate College Basketball Tournament Show presented by the Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey. I'm Tyler Rocky of Locked On Syracuse along with Andy Patton from Locked On Zags. We're going to give you analysis from the round of 32, all the betting advice from our friends at BetQL as well. And zoom in on some of the biggest stories happening as we head into the Sweet 16. What an opening weekend, Andy. I mean... Yeah. And it caps off with maybe the best game of the tournament too, from a pure end to end entertainment standpoint, but you could not have asked for much more out of an opening weekend. And it's so great to have the fans back. You could feel the energy inside all of these buildings. This is the NCAA tournament. And this is why, in my opinion, it is the greatest sporting event on earth.
1: Oh, you're not going to get any disagreement out of me, Tyler. It's an incredible event. Uh, I was in the building for a couple of uh, the, the West games in Portland and, I I forgot what that atmosphere feels like. You know, I've been to a hundred Blazers games in that place, and I've never felt the atmosphere <laughs> like it was for uh, for that Gonzaga Memphis game in particular. It was a, an incredible opening weekend. I can't wait for more. And that was a heck of a game too. The eight
0: nines, really, the eight nines versus the ones. I think it's the best set of eight nines versus a ones that we have seen across the board. And of course, the last game, they may have saved the best for last with Arizona and TCU. But let's take a look at. The one one seed that actually did fall in those matchups, it was Baylor drop into UNC, and this was a game that UNC dominated from the get go. Mm-hmm. They got up as many as twenty five points, but you saw Baylor claw back and claw back right after Brady Manick got ejected from the ball game. And this is a Baylor team that showed a lot of fight, but I mean UNC Sweet Sixteen. I don't think if you asked Tar Heel fans if you expected to see this a couple of weeks ago. I don't think they would have drawn this up the way that it's gone so far in the tournament.
1: What's been interesting about a lot of the eight, nine games, like you said, is a lot of these teams feel like they were either on a big free fall or they were climbing up. You know, you see a team like Memphis who has the talent to be higher than a nine seed. I think Uh, North Carolina definitely has the talent to be higher than a nine seed, but they didn't earn that in the regular season, but they both seem to be peaking at the right times. And that's why you get these really, really fun matchups that that North Carolina team is very, very good lately. Baylor, obviously at, I think Scott Drew's an incredible coach, uh, but he, there's only so many injuries you can really overcome. And they had yeah. injury after injury. And then even in that hundred-
0: game, they had injuries yeah. with Meyer getting banged up yep. at a certain point. He came back in the game, but it, it's mm-hmm. incredible to see the resiliency of that Baylor group. You're a hundred percent right there.
1: Yeah. It, 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 hats off to coach, obviously hats off to that team for how hard they fought, but it was always going to be an uphill battle. I think I, I'm, I haven't looked at the betting lines, but I'm guessing they were probably the least Picked number one seed to go all the way, just because Kentucky as the two seed was always going to be tough. Even though that didn't end up being a matchup they were going to have to see, uh, but it was uh, going to be a tough ride for Baylor. And North Carolina was playing some really, really good basketball, and uh, for them to withstand getting nearly losing what was an incredible lead. I think the broadcast said the only time there's ever been a, a, a comeback that level was BYU in 2012. Yeah. I think. Yep, in the first uh, so, four. Yeah, for, yeah, first four games. So an incredible an incredible accomplishment for Baylor to get back in that game. But uh, North Carolina, you know, hats off to them and coach Davis for for withstanding the punches there and still getting a victory. Isn't it crazy to think that
0: Hubert Davis was a guy who, again, some half the Carolina fan base was a little out on when the initial hire was made. Mm-hmm. They didn't necessarily love the keep it in the family move mm-hmm. and Avenue that they ended up taking. And a couple weeks ago, felt like people wanted him fired from mm-hmm. Carolina after they lost to Pitt at home on their own floor. Yeah. And now, fast forward, they're in the Sweet 16, going mm-hmm. toe-to-toe. They've, not, they've got probably one of the most impressive wins in the tournament thus far. They've certainly mm-hmm. made one of the most impressive runs alongside St. Peter's, which we'll get to in just a little bit. But mm-hmm. this Carolina team, I mean – Like you mentioned, Andy, they've got Mm -hmm. the talent. And you talk about these eight seeds and these nine seeds. They're one of the teams that's sort of risen lately. They've got Mm -hmm. to the ACC championship game, or rather the ACC semifinals, lost to the eventual champion um, in Virginia Tech. But they've got pieces on here. I mean, Brady Mm -hmm. Manick, I know he got ejected and had to leave Mm -hmm. early. And the officiating certainly was a topic of conversation in this game as well. But Brady Manick... I mean, he's only going to be at Carolina one year, but Mm -hmm. he has slowly become an absolute fan favorite. And he's going to be one of those guys that the program is going to talk about for years Mm -hmm. to come, just because of the impact he's had. And it's good to see Carolina have a tournament run alongside Mm -hmm. that to sort of bolster the legacy that he's left here with the Tar Heels.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Manic was so fun. I saw him last year, obviously before he transferred, uh, they played, played Gonzaga in the tournament. And that was kind of my first exposure to him. And he was another he eight, grow. nine too. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, was another one of those matchups. And uh, yeah, he's, he's had an incredible season for Carolina. It was, a, it was a bummer to see uh, that game and the, the way that it did for him. Uh, obviously at, at the time, it did not look like it was going to have any level of impact on the outcome. And then it very clearly became a huge storyline as that game progressed, which was one of the most, one of the craziest things I've watched is like this ejection that seems like it's meaningless. He's just going to get some extra rest before the next game and all of a sudden uh you're really feeling him not being on the floor. Uh kind of speaks a lot to uh, obviously Baylor's resiliency which we talked about but also speaks a lot to the impact he had in that game and has really had for for Carolina all season long. So another
0: topic of conversation here and it kind of ties in nicely with what we're doing with Carolina but mm-hmm. the ACC has 3 teams in the Sweet yeah. 16. They entered with 4. Meanwhile, you look at the SEC, the Big 10, Those are conferences right now that have fewer teams in the Sweet 16 than the ACC, even though Mm -hmm. the ACC was dogged on all season long alongside the Pac-12. But believe it or not, here we are in the Sweet 16 and no conference has more teams than the ACC right now. Mm -hmm. How shocking is that to you, Andy?
1: Yeah, you know, it, I always thought that some of the hate for the ACC was maybe a little bit overblown, but I, I also am not going to tell you that I had any confidence in the conference to do what they have done uh, so far in this tournament. You know, we knew Duke obviously was going to have themselves a great uh, a great tournament run with Coach K a final time, and and they had themselves a, an outstanding comeback against Michigan State as well to push themselves uh, into the Sweet 16, a, a really nice game from their young guys uh, to, to pull that one out, especially with A.J. Griffin uh, hurt. But I think the ACC has obviously proven that, you know, they, they have a lot of experience. They've done this before. You know, North Carolina, obviously, we kind of touched on them a little bit already. Uh, I, I will say that I'm very surprised to see this Miami run. Uh, I, I'm not shocked that they beat USC. I think I, I predicted USC to win that one, but it was kind of going to be a matchup of USC's bigs, namely Isaiah Mobley versus Miami's guards. Uh, And USC's guard play has just been so suspect this year that Miami managed to sneak by. Uh, But then for them to do what they did to Auburn, obviously, uh, you know, it was a a lot Auburn's doing. They just really did not come out to play. Uh, But you still got to give credit to Miami to not only pull off a victory over, you know, a team that was previously ranked number one in the country this year, but to beat them by 18 points. I mean, that's a that's a really big statement from from a team that made made some statements this year. Obviously, they weren't good. They weren't consistent enough all year long to to be anything more than a 10 seed, but for them to, to make, you know, get some big statement wins in the regular season. And now an absolutely huge one against Auburn to go to the sweet 16 and got a really good chance. You know, they're playing Iowa state. They got a very good chance to go to the elite eight and get a matchup against either Kansas or Providence.
0: Beat Duke in the regular season. And here's Mm -hmm. the thing with Miami. I look at it sort of formulaically when I look at teams that can have success in the NCAA tournament, can you take care of the basketball? Can Mm -hmm. you rebound the basketball? Can you hit your free throws? And Miami, they check two of those three boxes there. They they're not a great rebounding team. They don't have a ton mm-hmm. of size to them, but they are the sixth best team. According to Ken Palm's mm-hmm. turnover metrics of taking care of the ball. And yeah. you've got a veteran point guard in Charlie Moore, who I mean, Charlie Moore, what conference hasn't he played in in, yeah. in college basketball right yeah. now? He's been in the big 12, been in the pac 12. He's mm-hmm. been in uh, the big East and now he's in the ACC. I mean, he has been yeah. all over the country getting that passport stamped, but his <laughs> ability to, to lead this team and, and, this team just makes big shots too. Mm -hmm. And they, they have that ability to put teams away. That's been really surprising to me. Um, And, and maybe it shouldn't have been because of the way that they did take care of the ball throughout the regular season, but getting Mm -hmm. into some of the conferences that did disappoint a little bit, which has been more of a letdown for you. Has it been the sec with losing Auburn, Tennessee and Kentucky early on through the first weekend, or has it been the big 10 who right now just has Michigan and Purdue left standing, despite the fact that
1: they entered the dance with nine teams. I, <laughs> it's really hard to compare both of them. Uh, different situations, obviously. I think it's hard to not pick, for me, the SEC, just in terms of the expectations for how far those teams would go. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a smaller amount of teams that have disappointed. Uh, but for, for Auburn to be out, like we talked about, and then obviously Kentucky, I mean, they suffered quite arguably the, the worst – Uh, Loss in tournament history. I mean, obviously, Virginia... I do want to hit on that with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a... For for that to be the way that their season ends. And Tennessee lost to a, you know, a significantly lower-seeded team as well. And Mm -hmm. so it's just... Tennessee was a team that looked like, you know, they were only a three-seed, but obviously there was a lot of conversation about where they should have been seeded. uh, And a team that a lot of people had making a really, really deep run in this tournament. And, I mean, I... Again, you have to look at the numbers, but I'm guessing that there's a lot of final fours. There, There's very, very few final four brackets out there that don't have one of those three SDC teams in them. And So for them to to be in the spot that they are now is a a conference that was hyped up so much this year, too. And for for that to be the way that it it falls for them is a, a pretty big letdown.
0: I I would agree with you that the SEC has been the biggest letdown just because Mm -hmm. you look at the teams that have been knocked out in the big 10, how many of them could you truly say were title contenders? Like there was a handful of double digit seeds, three double digit seeds in in this thing. Um, But you look at it, how many were truly title contenders? I know Iowa was trendy towards the end of the year as a final four, maybe play, but Ohio state, I don't think anyone thought was getting to the final four Illinois, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone thought was getting to the final four. I think you could have made the case for a team like Wisconsin, especially given the path that they had through Milwaukee, then Chicago. Purdue mm-hmm. has certainly been great all season long, but Purdue yeah. was also probably the third best team in their, maybe even fourth best team, uh, you could mm-hmm. argue, too, in their in their region out, out in the East. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, yeah, I, I think it came down to, in the SEC, I think you knocked out three legitimate title contenders in yes. Tennessee and Kentucky. And in Auburn, meanwhile, in the Big Ten, you've got one of them still standing in Purdue. Michigan, we'll see how long this lasts with with the Wolverines. But everyone else, I think you could kind of see it coming maybe at the end of the first weekend. And if not, you could have seen it coming early in the second weekend here. Let's talk about St. Peter's because this is one of the great feel-good stories. You get Mm -hmm. them every single tournament. And here it is. Shaheen Holloway's team has made it to the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed. We've now seen a 15 seed in the Sweet 16 and back-to-back years after Oral Roberts Roberts did it last season. Mm -hmm. But this St. Peter's team, this is the ability to kind of change what your in-season profile was. That's exactly what this team has done, in my opinion. When you look at kind of what I was saying earlier, how there's a couple things I look for in teams that can have tournament success. Can you take care of the basketball? Can you shoot your free Mm -hmm. throws? And can you rebound the basketball? St. Peter's in the regular season did none of that. Well, (laughs) you look at it, they were 309th in turnover percentage. They were 265th in free throw percentage, and they're 199th in defensive rebounding. Those are Mm -hmm. terrible metrics for a team that, that got into the tournament and finished the season hot, but you look at what they've done so far. I ask you, is that victory over Kentucky, the biggest upset Mm -hmm. you've seen in a first round game in tournament history?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, I, th- I think so. I, and it, obviously, the primary competition is going to be, uh, you know, other two fifteen upsets, and of course, the one one sixteen upset with Virginia and UMBC, which was obviously historic and groundbreaking mm-hmm. in, in the fact that it was a you know, the first time that had ever happened, but it was such a strange game. And Virginia was the, I mean, has always been the kind of team that can kind of be susceptible to these kinds of losses, yeah. whereas Kentucky, obviously there, you know, there's some bad reputations there with some losses and Calipari's, you know, reputation has taken a bit of a hit with that, but like they, the, the roster that they had this year, the talent they had on this team, like it was not conceivable that this kind of thing would really happen. Like it was very and that it was so surprising. Like, you know, you have your Duke Lehigh's and you have some other fantastic games that have happened in the past in Florida Gulf Coast and the run that they went on, but or even the Oral Roberts game last year. I mean, and those were all fantastic games and tremendous upsets. But this like Kentucky felt like a legitimate, like everybody considered them a title contender. I, I think that they were a very, very popular to come out, come out of the East uh, in this on this side of the bracket over Purdue, over Baylor. Uh, you know, play a lot of times Gonzaga or Duke in the championship game, like that was really the expectation for this team. And and St. Peter's was, you know, such a, an unknown team. And like you said, the metrics were, were terrible for this team and for them to come out and secure this victory and beat a good Murray state team. I mean, it was not a gimme second game either. So I I mean, a really remarkable run from, from coach Holloway and the St. Peter's, the Peacocks.
0: Yeah, I look at it, too. I mean, that UMBC-Virginia game, you, Virginia was without a future NBA lottery pick and DeAndre Hunter in that game. Like, mm-hmm. there were excuses there. Mm-hmm. UMBC had some guys that would get a, a cup of coffee in pro ball at the next level, too. Yeah. I look at St. Peter's. I mean, you knocked off a bona fide championship-caliber program with mm-hmm. unbelievable oozing of talent on the other side, player of the year on the other side. And mm-hmm. to pull off an upset of that caliber, I'm with you. That That is, yeah. and I, I hate being a prisoner of the moment, but to me, this mm-hmm. is the greatest upset in tournament history. And credit yeah. to, to the St. Peter's Peacocks for moving on to the Sweet 16. All right, next up, we throw the conversation to RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright of the BetQLU podcast. to Make sure you are ready and prepared for the Sweet 16.
2: Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and Customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade cards used with permission.
3: We have the ultimate college basketball tournament special. I am Jeffrey Wright, my co-host is RJ Choppy. You can follow RJ on Twitter at RJ Choppy. Follow me at Jay wright 929 espn Week one of the tournament is concluded. We now turn our attention to the regional semifinals and the finals, RJ. It was really a pretty thrilling uh, opening week. Had a lot of everything. And maybe what we started to see was the thought that all college basketball season was it was going to be a pretty wide and open field. And maybe with all the chaos that we saw, and you know, we saw four number one seeds all play single-digit games in the final week, maybe it means that this is going to be a lot more open than we even thought to begin with. Let's start with what I think is actually one of the best games that we'll see during the regional weekend. We've got Arkansas at Gonzaga. Gonzaga opens at 8.5. My first thought on this, RJ, is, Memphis and Arkansas are very, very similar teams, except I think Arkansas has got a little better guard play. This strikes me as something that I might be considering points here.
2: Yeah, I might. Uh, my question is always going to be with this is can Arkansas score with Gonzaga? You know, Gonzaga is going to play in the eighties, you know, even on a tough day, you know, they're going to play high seventies, low eighties, right? So the over. I mean, the over/under on a lot of these, these ZAG games is, is got to be higher than 150 uh, at, from this point forward, and I just wonder if Arkansas could, could score with them. Uh, you know, like you know, something they haven't hit, but they've hit 75 and, and 53. Now that 53 game, New Mexico State, you know, that, that was a that was a team that did not have New Mexico State athletes. I mean, that was that they were really, really good athletic, uh, athletically. I, I just wonder if the Zags can, uh, sorry, if Arkansas would score with the Gonzaga, and if they can't. Obviously, it's going to be a blowout, but I am tempted to take the point. You know, you mentioned that they are very much like Memphis, and, you know, they just have a little bit better uh, guard play. And and that's true. I mean, Memphis is a good team, uh, and they gave the Zags fits, man. Did they give them a ton of fits? Uh, You know, but Arkansas Arkansas played a knockdown schedule. You know, the SEC is not the SEC of old, of, of 2012. This is a much better conference. And they had to go through the ringer and they played tough games and, and and the Zags will be a tough one for them. But, you know, I do think I am like, I am taking points here.
3: Yeah. And I mean, the other thing about Gonzaga, as you pointed out, they fall behind by 10. And in the second half, they said we're going to get this into the track meet and we're going to yeah. see, but there was no question that they were trying to get it into that track meet. The total right now, one fifty four and a half. and a half. I would say, put Arkansas's last performance against New Mexico state kind of in a separate category because that just got into a certain type of game. Yeah, I think think Arkansas then went into survival mode. I think they knew they could always kind of stay a little bit ahead of New Mexico state because they had the ability to make a couple more shots. And so I feel like they, they'd never tried to, they never tried to change the, the tempo of that game. I, I felt like that they were comfortable winning a rock fight, and, and they did whatever they could to get out of it. All right, then the seven fifteen game on Thursday night, we've got Michigan and Villanova. Villanova right now a five-point favorite. The total in that, I beg your pardon, RJ, it opened at five. It's already been bet down a little bit. We're now at four and a half. The total is 135-5. All this weekend, be safe, always just betting Villanova for one reason and one reason only. Late game situations, they always mm-hmm. find to get offense. And then secondly, at some point, if they ever get a lead, you're going to have to foul them. And RJ, they don't miss free throws. Like in the end, right. they are just an execution machine.
2: They are. You know, they are. They, they don't make mistakes. This is where guard play comes in. You know, it, it comes, you know, guard play plays a major point uh you know factor in uh, in college basketball this time of year. And that's where Villanova really shines through. I mean, they've got really solid guard play uh, you know Michigan uh, Michigan was a good team I mean look they were a good team this year preseason ranking right like preseason this is a team that everybody thought man this, this is gonna be a really solid team and then they go 17 and 14 and all of a sudden they ripped off a couple of upsets um uh, you know in, in the tournament you know Colorado State and Tennessee and you know whether or not you know all that stuff, did they deserve to be in here? That that's gone. That's to bed now. Uh, you know, you win a couple of games. It doesn't really matter whether you deserve to be in there or not. You know, you've got you're in the Sweet Sixteen, uh, and you know, 65% of the tournament's not. Uh, I just don't look. I mean, Villanova is tremendous. Uh, you know, their guard play is going to shine. Their ability to to close out a game. I don't see the same thing happening to them that happened to Tennessee on Friday, where they had a lead and they just stopped scoring for the final you know, 35% of the half.
3: Yeah. The thing that really stood out to me about the opening weekend teams that had fatal flaws, they all showed up with, Tennessee, you know, Tennessee had those, they would have periods where they would struggle to score and that teams would come back on them. You know, that reared its head. Same thing with Wisconsin, obviously with Wisconsin, there's some injuries and whatnot. Auburn bad guard play all year. They got exposed. Yeah. Teams that had a fatal flaw, I feel like they got exposed. All right, let's move to the night nightcap. Uh, this was a little bit surprising to me, RJ. Out in San Francisco, the night game, the most insufferable of all games, Coach K's returned to the Sweet 16 for one last ride. Texas Tech favored by one. That kind of surprised me, and not because I disagreed with it. It just surprised me that Vegas thought, you know, in the end, like I would figure – Coach K is an underdog in his, la- in his last ride. That that'd that be a little more enticing. This, to me, suggests I, I kind of like Texas Tech. And I'll be honest, even before I saw the line, I kind of like Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech's like, just a tough, physical team.
2: And those have been kind of the teams that gave Duke problems. Yeah, I, I have Tech uh, winning this game anyway, my bracket. And I'll tell you, they-, they impressed me today. Notre Dame was in a good spot to win that game in the second half. Yeah, they were. And, uh, and tech, tech really showed some resolve. And this, and this is, you know, it's a new coaching staff with them. Uh, you know, Chris Beard's not there, uh, so you don't know how every coach is going to react during these very tense moments. And, uh, and, look, they didn't seem to have any problems. Uh, this is still a quality team. Uh, it's been a really good program over the last half decade. And I, and I thought they were going to win this game. Anyway, I, they're very, very long uh, on defense. They're very athletic. They're very long. They, they're not the greatest offensive team, uh, don't don't let that 97 point output against Montana State fool you. They're not the greatest offensive team in the world, but I'll tell you, you know, if, if you know defensively, they can give anybody fits, especially Duke.
3: Uh, total in that 136 and a half. I agree with everything you said. I mean, to me, like there's just something about that team. They they have a clear identity, and we yeah. even saw today. I mean, just an absolute brutal beat for me. All right, then we do not have a line on Houston and Arizona Arizona with the last game of the weekend it takes overtime to knock off TCU overtime and a few other good breaks I'll be honest I had Arizona as the team that I liked the most I had them winning winning it all Sunday night scared me for a couple of reasons did you happen to catch Tommy Lloyd yelling at the shot clock operator like all that stuff matters to me like in the end like you know, when your coach is yelling at the shot clock operator and there was just chaos, like credit, it, credit to Ben Mathurin because that guy just was awesome all night and kept making plays. But, man, I, I, I kind of wonder if Kelvin Sampson against a, a rookie head coach in his first Sweet 16, I kind of wonder if Kelvin's licking his chops there.
2: Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's a good point uh, about the shot clock operator because you saw one of the Arizona players do the same thing. Uh, you know, basically stopping the game. This is after a foul, you know, kind of going right to the official. You know, TCU very easily could have pressed the ball, you know, pushed the ball down, down, uh, down the court uh, and gotten a five on four, you know, got a little odd man there. Uh, very easily could have happened. So I'm a big believer in that. I, I, I totally agree. You know, you take on the personality and the demeanor of your head coach a lot of times or your leader, whoever that may be. And in college basketball, let's face it, the head coach is the leader. It's not a player, it's the head coach. And if the head coach operates in chaos, the team's going to operate in chaos. And when it gets down to that one point of every game, that one point of every close game where, you know, it gets tense, you need somebody who's calm. Kelvin Sampson is going to be calm there. I didn't think Houston was going to go very far in this tournament. I didn't buy Houston at all. And now here we are, you know, ho-hum, they're just back in the sweet 16. And it's almost like, do we just, do we overthink these things a little too much?
3: Yeah, no, well, I mean, this is a league that I cover, and I, yeah, I, I, I just didn't think that I because I've seen good Houston teams, and they didn't look like a good Houston team. Like I knew they were still good, but it felt like a team that Kelvin was getting the most out of because that's just kind of what he does, and they just kind of move on. But I think what we're starting to see when we saw the the fight that Memphis gave, uh, the fight that Memphis gave Gonzaga, I think SMU was a good basketball team. Like even though they got left out. I think that league's a little better maybe than we give it credit and you know yet again here he is in another sweet 16 with another well-coached team that plays hard for him and they've got just they got long amazing athletes they don't shoot it particularly well but they get after it on the offensive rebounding front and, and they just keep going so I, I don't know right now I'm um, even though I have Arizona and I loved Arizona coming in all year uh, it's funny how that like one one little game where yeah. things get a little chaotic. It just kind of just kind of will mess with you a little bit. All right, let's go to the other game in the early window on Friday. We got Providence in Kansas, Kansas coming in as a seven and a half point favorite uh, total right now at one forty one. I don't know. I'm kind of inclined to just be like at this point, Ed Cooley just deserves my ultimate respect of uh, I just think if you're going to give me points, I'm just going to keep taking them because I can't I have not been able to explain it all year why Providence continues to do what they do, but they do continue to do what they do. And the fact that I saw Kansas not really I thought Kansas was going to handle Creighton because I thought Creighton really in the first round game, they should have lost to San Diego State. So I didn't really even think they should have been in there. The fact that Kansas couldn't really run away from them was a little concerning to me.
2: Yeah, it was. I don't know what to make of Providence because, you know, I think you've mentioned they have, like, the highest luck factor in the league yeah. or, or one of the highest according, luck factors.
3: According – the they rank number one on Ken Pom's luck factor. Uh, I mean, the other argument against it would be, you know, they don't really do anything well. That, that would be – you know, like, they're, yeah. they're, they are the ultimate – the sum is greater. The sum of the parts is, is not as good as the
2: results. Yeah. Okay. And we've seen that before, but those, you know, we've seen those teams, you know, go on decent runs and everything. I just never bought them. You know, I had them, I mean, I had them beaten South Dakota state, but I had them losing to Iowa. You know, I didn't have them getting this far. Obviously I was upset by in the, in the first round, but I, I didn't have Providence here. Uh, they are here beyond my expectations. I mean, it's all gravy, but they, you know, they've run into a different, you know, Kansas is a different animal. You know, Kansas is not South Dakota State, and they are not Richmond. This is a much different animal that they're going to have to deal with. I'm not sure they've seen the likes of Kansas, you know, really all year. Uh, it's it well, just the, talent.
3: The one thing I, the one thing I would say to you on that, do you think Kansas and Nova profile similarly?
2: I would say yes. Um, I, I think Jay Wright's a far better coach than Bill Self, though.
3: Yeah, I, I just they played, they've played, they played Nova close twice. Now they lost both times, and that's the other thing about the tournament. You know, you can get into a situation where a couple, of, you, the you're on the wrong side of the score, and then you start fouling, and then all of a sudden you, you're outside the number. Yeah. But I don't know, man. There's just something that Kansas team hasn't passed the eye test for me all year, and yet here I am. I still have them in a bracket going to the final four. But like to me, like yeah. that Kansas conundrum.
2: No, that, that, you're right. They haven't, they haven't passed the eye test. But, look, I thought Kansas was seeded. I thought Kansas was probably the fifth-best team. in the I thought they should have been the highest two-team. Maybe a one. But, you know, I, 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 I thought Kentucky should have been a one over them just because of the head-to-head. I thought Nova was over-seeded as a two. So, I mean, we are talking about maybe a tier below, but not, not, it's not egregious. I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, if they profile like Kansas does, or like Villanova does, then, then it should it should match up well for the Providence. All right,
3: then let's go to the final two games of Friday night game. I'm most excited about North Carolina and UCLA. I mean, obviously for for all the obvious reason, it's as good of a brand game as you can yeah. have. Great color game. Both are now Jordan brand teams, so they get the colors of the jerseys even look better. UCLA is a team that I've been high on all, you know, all year. They had a COVID pause and they've had some injury problems. They could have some injury problems coming into this. I don't know, man, is North Carolina, that team that they had a new coach. It took a little while for them to figure it out. But once they started figuring it out, like they've been playing really freaking good. I mean, my inclination is it's only a two point line for UCLA. If I think UCLA is going to win, which I do, I'm fine laying two. But in the back of my mind, like, until Manic got tossed from that game on Saturday, they were going to absolutely railroad a, a Baylor team that was clearly shorthanded, but still a damn yeah. good
2: team. Dude, that, uh, that that game at that point looked like that like McCants May Carolina yeah. team. And they, they were putting on a clinic, and it was up and down the floor, and they were getting everything they wanted. It was a clinic, and then he got and then, then he got knocked out. He got then he got you know tossed. So it was like it, the whole game changed at that one spot. But you're right, Baylor was a star set of the team, you know, uh or, or a great team all year, and then they they got shorthanded and it really screwed them up. But I love this matchup. It is a brand matchup. UCLA is a Final Four team for me. They are the team that I had coming out of this, this uh about the, Uh they are the team that I had coming out of this. Uh, I didn't think they'd be playing Carolina here, but Carolina's playing as good as anybody else is. You know, they really, really are. I just love UCLA. They have Two solid, like really, really good players. They're tournament tested. They got good guard play. They've got everything you would want out of a tournament profile. Uh, and here they sit, you know, just another win away. And they're gonna get, like, they're, they're gonna get a very, man- if they win, they're gonna get a very manageable game in the Elite
1: Eight. It's yeah, either can- Purdue or
2: St. Peter's, man. I mean, how, how? See, you want you want to talk about like the the, uh, the chips falling in the right spot. You want know the amount of luck it takes for you to win a championship. You've got to get a, like a, like a 10 seed or a 15 seed in the Sweet 16.
3: There's no question. I mean, you know, you look at it. I mean, Miami and Iowa State, the final game of the night, that's the ten and the eleven seed. A double-digit seed is going to make the Elite Eight. And yeah, I yeah. do think I'm inclined right now. Iowa State uh, is getting a point. I'm inclined with Miami. I think that Miami team had some, some struggles early. But if you've watched them recently, the main thing I love is their guards are are studs, like those yeah. guys. Those guys are legit. Iowa State cannot shoot to save their lives. Like it's it's just horrible. I just kind of really like the Hurricanes there.
2: They live in the fifties. Iowa State lives in the fifties. Yeah, uh, you know when they play their game. Uh, everybody could everybody could have seen the the LSU game. Uh, Iowa State winning. I mean, you lose your coach. I mean, it's just like uh, what's going on here. Uh, you know, Wisconsin, like you said, they had their fatal flaw show up and it was it was not a good day for them. Uh, I mean, you score 49 points. You are not winning many basketball games. And and now we're going to have a double-digit seed there. And you might have a couple because you might see St. Peter's move on, although that'd be difficult. That's a that's a wild matchup. Uh, i see a wild style of play uh, that St. Peter's has. And Purdue just doesn't see it that often, if ever. Uh, but, you know, we are seeing some low seeds. And I think that's because the tournament this year Is crazy, you know, and we have talked about this, right? We've talked about how it's such a wide open tournament. There's no clear cut favorite.
3: Will there be a two double digit seeds advancing to the elite eight? Tyler and Andy will tell you the answer in a moment as we continue the ultimate college basketball tournament special.
0: All right, so a fabulous first weekend with all the madness, tons of upsets. You couldn't get a much better first weekend, and if you love a Cinderella story, you're in luck. We are promised one. A double-digit seed is a lock to make the Elite Eight with both Iowa State and Miami facing off in the Sweet 16. Is it possible, though, that we maybe have two of these double-digit teams getting to that next level? So let's take a look at some of the, the teams that could be in that conversation. The only place that things went chalk getting to the sweet 16 came in the West region here. But if you look at it, St. Peter's taking on Purdue. You've also got Michigan with a battle against Villanova as well. So do you like the chances of St. Peter's continuing the Cinderella running, getting to the elite eight, or do you think Michigan in a rematch of the 2018 national championship can get a date into the elite eight?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm betting on either of them. I got to be honest there. Um, I think St. Peter's is going to have such a challenging time with the size for Purdue. Obviously, Zach Eadie's just a complete monster down low. Uh, and there's just not, I mean, ob- obviously St. Peter's defeated, you know, Oscar Shubwe and Kentucky. So obviously yeah. they have some ability to do but this. But now there's but, two of them and yes, yes, that's the problem. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then of course, you know, Jaden Ivey is just such a tremendous talent obviously for the Boilermakers. Uh, on the other side, I think Michigan, could do it. Like, I think it's possible. Uh, You know, John Howard's team's rolling right now. They just beat Tennessee's very, very good team over there. Uh, Villanova has looked good. Uh, They struggled a little bit against Ohio state at times, but they pulled that one out. Uh, I think, you know, if Colin Gillespie continues to play the way that he has been playing, he's one of the best guards in the country. We've talked on the show already about the importance of of quality guard play in in a year where guard play was kind of down as a whole, like that's Mm -hmm. a big, a big storyline of the season. And that's why teams like, you know, like Villanova, who got a two-seed, has been a great offense. Purdue, we talked about them, obviously, Gonzaga and Andrew Nemphart and the way he's been playing. Uh, you know, and then you have Arizona almost lose today because Kirk Risa has a really, really off night coming back yeah. from an injury. So, like, that's been a huge storyline, and I think it's definitely going to be a pretty big factor in that Nova-Michigan game. And if, like we said, if Gillespie has himself a, a good game and kind of controls the pace there, I think, I think Nova pulls that one out. And also to
0: expand on your guard play comment as well, Kansas has just gotten much better play out of Remy Martin too. He's been fantastic these last couple of games. And that's been a big reason why Kansas has now not only got a nice little path to get to the final four, but they look Mm -hmm. strong. And even though they had a battle with Creighton, I mean, if Remy Martin played like the Remy Martin of the regular season, that team is not winning that game against Creighton. Mm -hmm. That that was, that was a great Remy Martin performance. And he's been putting them on these last couple of games. Um, I do want to pick your brain a little bit about Michigan here because Mm -hmm. this is a team that feels like maybe it's playing with house money at this point. They didn't have to go to Dayton to play in the first four. A lot of people were upset with that. Some people think they shouldn't even be in the entire field, but Mm -hmm. there is a Michigan team that lost in their first game of the big 10 tournament. It felt like that was a quasi play in game at the time. And Mm -hmm. it may have felt like they played their way out, but They've come out, they got punched in the mouth really early against Colorado State, absolutely flipped the switch in the final 22 minutes of that game. And then they come out, they got punched in the face early against Tennessee, punched Mm -hmm. back, took the lead at halftime, and they've looked really strong through these first two games. And I mean, what's been the biggest difference for you with Michigan getting to the point where they're at right now and now having a chance to get to the Elite Eight or, or the Final Four?
1: Yeah. I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to Juwan Howard. He's obviously been in the news quite a bit this season for, you yeah. know, a confrontation with the Michigan coaching or excuse me, the Wisconsin coaching staff and uh, you know, just being in the news for Michigan having a disappointing season, but uh, the the adjustments that he has made in these first two tournament games, I think are huge. The ability to to correct the, uh, this team and get them back on track uh, this is a team that earlier in the year, they folded in games like these, yes. like they would get punched in the mouth early and they they would lose. They, they lost. A, I mean, they got blown out by North Carolina early in the year, lost to Rutgers, uh, got blown out pretty badly by Michigan State. Like this is a team that, that really struggled in some of those games earlier in the year. And for them to come out against two really good teams in the NCAA tournament uh, in the first two round games that they've had. And uh, Colorado State is a team that I had going to the Elite Eight. Uh, I really believed in David Roddy in that group. And Michigan, you know, really, really took it to him in the second half of that game and, and slowed Roddy down. And Hunter Dickinson, obviously, has just been such an extraordinary talent uh, throughout his collegiate career. It's nothing that new, but he's really taken it up a level for this team and, and looks like has looked like the best player on the floor. And basically uh, the last handful of games that he has played this season and, and him and the coaching and adjustments by Howard have, have got this team. Yeah, like you said, staring on the face, of potentially going to the Elite Eight. Uh, which would be remarkable, considering where the season was a few months ago.
0: Yeah, if you told me after that Wisconsin game, when <laughs> the the punch, the mush, whatever you want to call it, whatever mm-hmm. semantics you want to use, heard mm-hmm. around the world when that happened, if you told me this team was going to go to the Sweet Sixteen, I would have said, "Are we sure this team's going to get into the tournament?" Right? Yeah, they're playing right now. Mm-hmm. But the biggest difference for me has been. Like you mentioned, Hunter Dickinson. I mean, Mm -hmm. they are making a concerted effort to get him the ball. He's getting Mm -hmm. to the free throw line. He's making his free throws as well. Mm -hmm. In the tournament, he's got games of 27 and 21 so far. He had a double-double with 27 and 11 in the biggest game of the season against Tennessee. Getting the ball to Hunter Dickinson has been the biggest difference in my eyes Mm -hmm. for this Michigan team. When you look at – the best games that we're going to be looking at in, in the sweet 16, what region are you pointing to? What matchups are you pointing to? What are you most Mm -hmm. looking forward
1: to in the sweet 16, Andy? (laughs) Well, I'm a college basketball junkie, so I could find a reason to like just about every single one of these games, (laughs) but I'll I'll narrow it down to a couple of them. Uh, Obviously Texas tech Duke is going to be such a fun game, uh, you know, to, Titanic programs, obviously you have Coach Krzyzewski and the whole storyline going on there. Uh, the job Mark Adams has done at Tech has been fantastic. It's a team that uh, they didn't play particularly well against Notre Dame, and that's definitely something to watch. Uh, Duke obviously had their struggles against Michigan State as well. Uh, so that's probably the tops of my list. Um, but the, the game that most recently got solidified is this matchup uh, in the South region between Arizona and Houston. Uh, I think that's going to be so fun. Arizona, yeah. obviously they play at this you know warp speed pace, incredibly efficient offensively. Uh, Christian Coloco just had 28 points on 12 of 13 shooting against TCU, which is one of the craziest games I've seen uh, from him in his career and then obviously Houston and the job Kelvin Sampson has done and and where that team is at, you know, a lot of people thought they weren't going to get out of the first round uh, against UAB and for them to not only win that game but go out and and hand it to Illinois. Uh, and get a chance to play for the Elite Eight. I mean, I'm not sure I thought there was anybody in this region outside of Tennessee who would really challenge Arizona, but I I think Houston's got a really good shot at making that a great game. How about the job that Kelvin Sampson has done? I mean, has to be the coach
0: of the year. And I know it's it's based off of regular season and maybe Mm -hmm. even conference tournament merit, but this is a team that got hit early with injuries. Mm -hmm. They lost two all-American caliber players earlier in the year with Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark going down. And yet here they are, sweet 16, and not just that, but I bet you there's a a fair number of people out there that like them to take down Arizona potentially. Mm -hmm. To me, in that game, it's going to come down to how can Houston handle the size of Arizona? Because this is a Houston team that isn't very Mm -hmm. big but they play amazing form defense and and Mm -hmm. the principles and the culture and the discipline that they play with is enough to overcome what they may lack in size. And we saw what happened when, when Arizona let up all these different offensive rebounds. Now Mm -hmm. they got two timely ones when it really mattered. And it ultimately sort of won them the game, which is the great irony of that victory over TCU. But This Arizona team's also going to have to hit their free throws too, because mm-hmm. it's a Houston team that fouls a ton. Mm-hmm. And if you can maybe get them in a little bit of foul trouble, you might set yourself up nicely to to get yourself a victory and get to the Elite Eight.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I love this game uh, so much. I think it's going to be so fun. The only thing uh, I was just going to add real quick, talking about Arizona's length and size, like it's not just it's not just Koloko too. Like M- Mathurin yeah. is, is so big. Uh, Tubelis, I think, is six ten. Yeah, Ballo's huge. Like they just have so much length. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a really, really fun game. There, there's so much to like. And
0: then obviously you've got. I mean, this is gonna be a game of pace, and it's it's one mm-hmm. that you're surely familiar with. But Gonzaga and Arkansas, mm-hmm. you want to talk mm-hmm. about two teams that are gonna be running. I yep. mean, it, it's gonna feel pretty similar, I think, to that Gonzaga-Memphis game where it's two teams getting up and down the floor, running, run and gun. It's just gonna be mm-hmm. an entertaining. It's gonna feel like an NBA game, probably.
1: Absolutely. I think it's, it's it's good that Gonzaga, for Gonzaga fans, it's good that they experience this against Memphis because I think they're going to see a lot of the same things. And, and certainly uh, we, we saw a Memphis team that for 30 minutes was one of the few teams in the country that could run with the Zags. Uh, and they just, they got gassed at the end and they had some foul trouble and that was really hampered them down the stretch. Uh, but I think, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how much Arkansas attempts to run with Gonzaga because I don't think they're going to dramatically change their game plan. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. But the only teams that have really, really flummoxed Gonzaga this year have done it by slowing them down. Uh, obviously, St. Mary's is the best example of that. But Duke was Duke successfully just put a lot of pressure on the guards and didn't let them get anywhere. Alabama slowed them down, and and those were Gonzaga's worst games. So if if Arkansas tries to run with them, I think they're one of the few teams that that has the ability to really do it, but it hasn't, it's not a recipe that's worked so far for anybody this year. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. If Andrew Nemhardt has another good game like he did against Memphis, it's hard to imagine really anybody beating them, to be honest. Now, I know we're only in the Sweet 16 here, but
0: the Final mm-hmm. Four is on the brain of every single college basketball fan right now. And everyone likes to talk once we get to this point about the path. Who's got the best path? Who's got the mm-hmm. best matchups to get to that Final Four, to get to New Orleans this year? When you look at the bracket right now, who does have that easiest path in your eyes, Andy?
1: Uh, I think it's pretty clear to me, honestly, and it's, it's Kansas. Uh, obviously, Kansas got the tremendous benefit of the 10-11 matchup uh, at the bottom of the region between Miami and Iowa State. Uh, they're playing a, a Providence team that has played extremely well lately, and that's the only reason I would hesitate on picking Kansas because I don't think that a, a victory over Providence is is remotely a sure thing. You know, you talked about Kelvin Sampson being your coach of the year. I think mm-hmm. he's going up against another candidate in Tommy Lloyd, and then Ed Cooley down on the bottom at Providence is your other candidate there. He's had an incredible season, and and for this team to to be playing their best basketball really right now, I think is. It's going to be a tough matchup for Kansas, but if they can get past that one, then their path into the final four is either Iowa state or Miami. And it's, it's really hard not to like that. Uh, if, if you're Kansas, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. much better than having to face either Auburn or, or Wisconsin. I think uh, Purdue is another team that obviously, you know, their first game is going to be against a 15 seed A 15 seed that's playing out of their minds right now, but right. Uh, no 15 seed has ever won this game. So I think, uh, you know, you got to feel pretty good if you're Purdue that you're not playing Kentucky or Murray state or, probably even San Francisco, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, but Purdue's second game after that is either going to be North Carolina or UCLA. And I would not be shocked if either of those teams beat Purdue. Purdue has uh, obviously struggled so much on the defensive end this year. And, and while their offense and their pace and their scoring is is unreal, uh, UCLA and North Carolina can score the basketball too. And I think that they, they, they would give them a really good challenge there. So I think it's Kansas and Purdue, but it's, you know, this is March, man. There's no guarantee yeah. either of those teams are going.
0: I think it's Purdue just solely based off of that 15 seed matchup right now, but this is a Purdue team that's overlooked opponents time and time again this season. And you wonder, are they already looking Mm -hmm. ahead to Mm -hmm. a potential Carolina UCLA matchup that Mm -hmm. scares the ever living hell out of me for a a game like this, because we've seen what happens when they do that and they lose these Mm -hmm. games or they play unnecessarily close and you exert Mm -hmm. a little too much, like best case scenario for Purdue You Mm -hmm. run St. Peter's out of the gym in the first half and you get to rest your guys up before you take on either North Carolina or UCLA because that is going to be an absolute dogfight against either one of those teams. You're going to need to have some fresh bodies against those two teams.
1: Mm -hmm. Without a doubt.
0: So, yep, that's going to wrap it up here for us on the Ultimate College Basketball Tournament Show. We're going to be with you breaking down everything after every single set of games. We will have that for you here on the show, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including the Odyssey app here. Tyler Rocky, Andy Patton with you every single weekend, breaking down the NCAA tournament. So be sure to subscribe, and we will talk to you guys with all things getting ready for the Final Four next week.